What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hi, I'm Jess Larson. This is Ideation Collective. You know, sometimes you raise the money for the sake of raising the money, right? So you should ask, why do you need those, you know, the new funding, right? So what what do you do, right? If you do not have a very detailed plan, detailed plan, I would say no need to raise the money. You know, the second thing is, you better, you know, get your product reach a point where you see the 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 product fit, you know, to to a certain market, and then you you need money to double down something to further scale your business. Otherwise, even do not know what you are going to do and you try to risk the money, I would say that's not uh, smart. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Today we've got the CEO of Zoom. Eric, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. So you guys have done some pretty impressive things. You've got over 4 billion minutes used of conference time. You've got over 140,000 business customers. Um, Tell us a bit about you know, what you've invented since leaving Cisco. I think when I was at Cisco, I always thought about to start a new company because I'm living in Silicon Valley. I truly believe startup company is a driving force to help the economy moving forward. And also, ultimately, that's the way I feel happy. You know, if you work for a lot of enterprise company, everything is great. However, you feel like you cannot have a huge influence, you know, to others. That's why we, we left Cisco to start a new company in Silicon Valley. And for anyone who's not familiar with Zoom, what, what does Zoom do? Zoom is uh, the next generation of video conferencing service. Essentially, we are building one service to seamlessly integrate audio conferencing, video conferencing, web conferencing, business, IM, and presence into one solution with the best quality, ease of use, and also some of quite unique features. That's great. Well, uh, one of our other participants on the show, her name's Dalian Bauman. She is the uh, manager for the band Imagine Dragons, you know, giant rock band in the country last year. She just swears by it. And, uh, you know, she, she's, she's a, one of your big evangelists out there. So uh, 
we we wanted to track you guys down and, and hear how you've created this thing. So um, when you think about um, the the space you're in, obviously video conferencing has existed in the past. Um, what was it that you wanted to do different? What was it that you thought could be special about Zoom? I think if you look at a conference industry, right, in starting from audio conferencing and Zoom web conferencing, I think a down the road, video conferencing with the new era. Previously, all the video conferencing were built around hardware systems, right? Used in the boardrooms, right? And most of the, uh, the users cannot use that. I think down the road, video conferencing is going to become a mainstream product. You know, you can use your mobile device, your PC, your Mac, any computing device. You can use uh, video conferencing with uh, enterprise-grade quality. You know, ultimately, that will make end users' experience more intimate. And previously, it's, it's really hard, right? You need to deploy very expensive solutions. Also, want to use that for your internal executive communications. I would download all the conversations. I would say we'll turn on the video because experience is great. Yeah. So, you know, if you were giving advice to entrepreneurs out there about wading into a market where, you know, there is big competition and there's big companies that you're going to have to push out of the way to earn market share. Uh, what advice do you have about the courage to go into a, a, you know, a market that's not a brand new market where, where there are big boys there already and, and try and cut out your piece of the business? I would say that's probably the, the best way to start your business because you do not need to build something. You need to educate the customers, right? And that's, uh, I would say, mature market. As long as you can build the best solution and you like it, I think you are going to be successful. Especially when you compete against, uh, you know, big, you know, uh, entrenched companies, you know, I think you should have a confidence, right? You know, because, you know, you are more nimble and uh, you, you are working much harder than any others, right? And ultimately, great product will win. Not because of great brand, but a great product will win. If you can build the best product and be patient, I think you are going to win. You know, Certainly somebody like our friend Daylin, you know, she, she's been, she's used Skype, she's used Google Hangouts and she just like no, in her, in her mind, there's no competition. Like Zoom is it. What, what do you attribute that kind of customer loyalty to? What, why is it that it feels like such a different experience than some of these other um, products that, that other consumers can get a hold of? Because when we started the business, you know, the number one priority is around customers, around end users. We really want to make sure the product build can be used by ourselves every day, also can be used you know, by any users every day. So with that aside, I think we you know, relentlessly focus on the product experience, in the user experience, in, in terms of quality, how many clicks you, know, you, you need to join the meeting, to start a meeting, and your network bandwidth is not good, how can you maintain a good quality? So we do not maximize like revenue and any other things. We maximize around the product experience. And also, we did not do anything on marketing front. We really want to get very loyal customers who help us test product. And then we are going to release the product. I think ultimately, that might be the reason. Well, uh, well it certainly appears to be working. <laughs> so um, tell us about, um, you know, you're, you spent 18 years at Cisco. What kind of an advantage do you think that gave you coming into this market? Uh, sorry, 14 years. 14 years, sorry. 14 years at WebEx, and uh, I joined WebEx in 1997, and uh, we sold WebEx to, to, to Cisco 2007. And then I was at Cisco for another four years, okay. and then I left. 
I think over the past 18 years, I was uh, working on real-time collaboration technology, and I learned a lot at WebEx because when we started, only 10 engineers, two co-founders. You know, I learned all the way from a very small team to a public company, and with 3,000 employees, you know, become a, a, a very, you know, a good company, I mean, in the real-time collaboration market. And then after we sold to Cisco, I was at Cisco for several years. I was uh, Cisco's corporate vice president responsible for Cisco's overall collaboration software development. You know, Cisco is a great company. It's a great culture. I learned a lot, you know, in terms of uh, leadership skills, you know, how to build a big team, how to deliver happiness to customers. Overall, I think uh, I learned from a startup to a public company and also learned uh, uh, leadership skills in a company like Cisco. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. You know, um, leadership skills, it's something, especially it feels like on the technology side of startups, there's so much emphasis on engineering and iteration and innovation. Um, and, And sometimes the, how do you keep the team from killing each other gets glossed over a little bit. Uh, or, or how do you remain humble as the leader or these kind of things? T- tell us, uh, what do you feel like uh, you've gained leadership-wise? Or what, what's the progression of becoming a leader been like for you? I think uh, two things, you know, really helped me to become a, a better leader. So one is the care. You should really care about your product, your company, your peers, your employees. Every day, you know, when I wake up every day, the first thing I think about Oh, do I care about this? You know, do I, how do I care about the employees? How do I care about, you know, customers? You know, everything around the care. You know, that's the number one thing I learned. The second one is around, you know, your attitude. You, you've got to appreciate what others did for you, your peers, your, your bosses, your managers, your customers. If you have an appreciation attitude, you, 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 you are very humble. You know, no matter what you do, you always appreciate what others did for you. I think those two things, right, care and appreciation, and it truly happened to me a lot when I grew myself to the next level. For, for so many business owners out there, I certainly felt this. You know, you've got the whatever problem you're working on right now, and it's really easy to focus on the fire you need to put out instead of appreciating everyone else's hard work or, or what's gotten us so far. Do you have any things you tell yourself or, or routines or anything to help yourself uh, maintain that? that attitude, that appreciation? Yes, you're right on. So as I mentioned earlier, every morning, you know, when I wake up, always think about, I call that morning triangle, right? I think about, do I care about my employees? Do I care about my customers? Do I care about my companies or not? Every morning when I woke up, the first thing I think about that. So with that, I will remember, oh, something I forgot, you know, did that because my employees, his wife, you know, got sick. You know, and in the hospital, right? I, you know, I, I, will, I should remember, you know, to make a phone call, right? Otherwise, you could forget all those kind of things, right? This is a one routine, you know, process to, to help you to remember, remember that, right? So also every night before I sleep, also think about appreciation. Every day I think about that. You know, I think of those two things, the morning triangle, think about, you know, the, the care. And even you, you think about, the, you know, how you should appreciate what others do for you. I think it's definitely helping me. Otherwise, you know, quite often you, you forget that. So that's a formula I think I have. So, Well, I think, uh, you know, certainly if you look at the research about willpower these days, um, the idea of doing the most important things early in the day when, you're, when your willpower canteen is full is a good idea. So I think that's great advice to, to get that 
do you feel like it kind of sets the tone for the day that those are your first thoughts that that's what you're considering? Exactly, exactly. Because when you wake up, you think about care, and before you go to bed to sleep, you think about appreciation. I think every day you have something like that. I feel it's great. This is a, that's why I feel happy every day. So, huh. um, so for you, when you thought about starting Zoom and the milestones, um, certainly four billion minutes used is is a big number. What were some of the first milestones? What were some of the first things that you were trying to hit to know, hey, we're, we're on track? What were some of the first goals? The first goal is after we announced the product, even before the general uh, availability, right? You know, just the, the beta. You know, within the first one or two weeks, I wanted to see what's the feedback you know, we can get from a customer side. Is the feedback is mostly is uh, negative or the customer say, wow, this is a product we're looking for for many years. You know, that's uh, probably the first milestone. The good news is we did receive, wow, you know, feedback, you know, within the two to three weeks after we, we announced the product. And, and how, uh, how long was your workup before you, before you launched it, before you did that? It's uh, two and a half years. It's uh, hard work around the clock. It's not that easy, though, because we build everything from scratch and we build our own technology. You know, we focus on the pro- uh, product experience. You know, many engineers around the clock for two and a half years. Wow. It seems like uh, you have really gone after this product market fit, this, this idea of something that the customers really enjoy and want in a big way. Um, you know, there's these books these days like The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Uh, do you, is your methodology somewhat similar to that, different than that? What does what iteration look like at Zoom? Very, very similar to that. You know, so very lean. And because uh, even today, you know, look at our R&D team. We only have engineers. You know, we do not have, do not have uh, you know, QAs. You know, we even do not have a product managers. Engineer, you've got to be responsible for the product. And of our marketing issues, as I mentioned earlier, before April 1st of this year, we even do not have a marketing team. You know, organic growth, word of mouth is the best marketing vehicle for us. And yes, we, you know, we are running a company very lean, right? Like, like I'll give an example, right? So we raised a 30 million uh, series of sale round, you know, uh, early this year. And that money is still in the bank, you know? We, we reached the cash flow positive in Q1 this year, and uh, we are running the company very, you know, very limited, right? So we, we, we do not spend like, like crazy. So, and ultimately, I think that will help us to build a long-term sustainable company. I really like that philosophy. I feel really lucky. I've, I feel like I've got a bit more of an education recently. Um, I got to go over to Japan with the Shingo Prize and tour some Honda factories and Toyota factories. And then also their suppliers who, who have brought that methodology in and, um, it's, I feel like here in the States, so often we pay a lot of lip service to lean and these kind of things. And it was fascinating to see there where it's really baked into people's DNA. And it feels like, it feels like you know, every dollar counts for you guys and you're really baking it into the DNA. Right on. Because, uh, you know, high-tech startup company, you never know what's going to happen in the market. You've got to have uh, enough cash in case something, you know, goes off, right? And also... If you need to double down on something, you make sure you have uh, capital, you know, to invest. 
know, I think I, you know, because I was here in 1999. I I know you know the year 2000 and 2008. You know the financial crisis and also the internet bubble. You know I I witnessed all those two in the crisis, right? So I know you know you better to run company more efficiently. So you know I I was really interested to hear you be so proud of being cash flow positive. It feels like. Um... Well, do you have any comments? It, it seems like there's a lot of entrepreneurs these days that are so excited to let everyone know how much money they've raised. And then it's almost like they spend the money like it was profit rather than investment. And, uh, and sometimes like profitability becomes like a nuisance rather than the point of the business. Do you, do you see that at all in some of the startup culture today? Yes, because I would say, you know, if you build a consumer company, you know, like a Uber, right, they raise a lot of money. I think, I think that's absolutely the right thing to do because, you know, they wanted to, you know, grab a market share and they wanted to compete against some other the new players. I think to raise more money certainly will help so. However, to build a, a enterprise or, or business, you know, the B2B company, I think you cannot have uh, overnight success, normally six years or seven years. If you raise too much money, I would say that will not help you. That might hurt you down the road. Because, you know, raise too much money, you know, and, uh, you know, your exit is, you know, could ca- cause a problem. In case your product does not fit very well to the market, you know, so you, you got to maybe sort of sell your company. Who's going to buy you if your company did not do well? That's why I should be careful. You know, in our case, we did not raise a lot of money. You know, we raised the 45.5 million. You know, some of our competitors raised more than 100 million. After I saw that, I always shared with our employees. I think that's the early sign of, uh, I would say, I'm not calling, calling that a failure. I could cause a lot of troubles down the road. You know, I feel like uh, my, my last decade, you know, I, I was on a mergers and acquisitions team at Citigroup. Uh, in Southern California years ago, and then uh, more on the private fundraising side. And I find it's one of the things that entrepreneurs ask me the most about. Um, what advice do you have when it goes to actually securing funding and, and people who are trying to grow an enterprise and they realize, hey, we do need to raise some money to grab some more market share or, or to, you know, to get al- be alive long enough to get to profitability. Um, when you see how people are raising money, what do you think people, what do you think a lot of the most common mistakes are? For, for entrepreneurs out raising money? You know, sometimes you raise the money for the sake of uh, raising the money, right? So you should ask, why do you need those, you know, the new funding, right? So what, what do you do, right? If you do not have a very detailed plan, detailed plan, I would say no need to raise the money. You know, the second thing is, you, know, you better, you know, get your product reach a point where you see the, uh, the, the product fit, you know, to, to a certain market. And then you, you need money to double down something to further scale your business. Otherwise, even do not know what you are going to do and you try to raise the money, I would say that's not uh, smart. You know, last but not, least, but not least is to raise money also is to start building a relationship with some VCs, right? You should trust them, become your, your, your supporter down the road, even if in the, you know, in the downturn of the economy, and they are still going to support you, right? To find a, a partner like that also will help you, you know. But otherwise, you you got the money, you know. The the VCs may not support you down the road. That could be, you know, a, a very very I would say the the worst case, you know. So. And then uh, when you look at the people that you think are doing it right, what what do you think are the 
the common elements of the people who are successful at raising money? What, what's some of the advice you would give to someone who's trying to learn that skill set? So first of all, you, you got to make sure that who you would like to raise the money, right? They, they should support you, right? You know, in all kinds of situations. That's number one important thing. Number two, I would say you, you got to have a very detailed plan, very, very detailed plan, you know, how, you're going to, how you are going to you know, use that capital. Otherwise, you know, I would say, you know, you should not risk the money. And the last but not least is uh, make sure you do not dilute, you know, your company that much. Otherwise, how do you care about your employees? You know, make sure, you know, your employees still can, you know, can still can deliver happiness to your employees down the road. Either you go public or you sell your company. You know, otherwise, if you dilute it too much, you know, the employees who work together with you for many years, I would say, I would say for financial perspective, they may not get the, the best return. You know, you also got to consider that as well. We were we were talking about books for a couple of minutes before we got started here, and I saw kind of a big smile come across your face. I get the sense you're a reader. Do you have, do you have some book recommendations you think innovators should be reading these days? I have a lot, actually, because uh, I'm uh, a huge fan of uh, reading books. You know, in my company, we also establish, uh, establish a book club. I think, uh, you know... Quite often, I think is uh, you know when I talk to employees, I would say, "Hey, have you ever read that book or not?" Right? It's kind of we always exchange some. Hey, we found another good book. I think overall, uh, there's so many new books every year, and that my favorite book is uh, you know Deliver Happiness from Good to Great and the Speed of a Trust. You know, I think all those the book. Uh, very good books. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, we'll put uh, we'll have to put links for those books so people can get them off Amazon or audiobooks on Audible. Um, you know, thinking about this idea of continual education. Um, now, I, I'm a originally an art school dropout who got into investment banking somehow through some entrepreneurial things. But uh, are you? Did you do formal education or go straight into entrepreneurship? What's your background there? Yeah, if you look back, I should uh, drop out as well. So, but I did not do that, unfortunately. That's why when I started a company, I mean, already you know, forty-one years old, and uh, I, yeah, I I got my master degree and I then got my first job and to be a software a programmer, and then you know worked upon quite a few other companies, you know, and until two thousand eleven, I left. If I drop out, drop out earlier, maybe I start a company earlier. I would <laughs> Yeah, but maybe maybe you would have started it in 2008. So it's probably good. It's probably good. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. That's right. So um, <clears throat> you guys are obviously pushing the envelope and trying, you know, continual improvement. Uh, and, and that iteration is obviously working well for you. When you think about innovation, though, and like breaking the groupthink and doing things that no one else has ever done. Um, obviously, you know, specialization has the benefit of, of getting further at the same thing, but a lot of times it feels like innovation comes from other sources outside of an industry or outside of a group of friends. Do you have any things that you do to, to try and be observant outside the industry? Are you, do you, do you go to bookstores and flip through magazines? Do you have a, do you travel the world? Do you, what do you do for inspiration? I think uh, you, you're right. You know, sometimes you work on in one industry for too long, you know, without looking at it from an out-of-the-box perspective. You know, sometimes you, you may get lost. You do not know what's going on, right? And, but I think what's more important is you should spend the time with your customers. Truly understand the problem first. You know, sometimes innovation, you know, 
will I would say will be around the the problems, right? If you do not understand the problem, how can you know what's the root cause? You know, quite often say, "Hey, I want to innovate," but however, you even do not know the problem. That's what our approach is. We always spend time with customers, try to understand what's the exact problem, why there are problems, what's the exact root cause, and then we work very hard try to figure out a better solution. Some sometimes the solution may not come from the industry you are working on. It could come from the people who are working on totally different technology, totally different market segment. But you learn from that, and then you know marry the, the technology from your industry, from other industries. You know, sometimes innovation you might get a great innovation. Are there any instances of that that stand out to you? Of oh, I saw. You know, you talk about that book, Delivering Happiness. I saw how Tony Shea was delivering shoes, and I thought we could tweak this this way. Or any any stories of that come to mind? In terms of、uh, innovation, yeah, of things that you saw somewhere else that you implemented at Zoom.、Uh, yeah. So one example I would say, you know, I before I start Zoom, right? So you know, after the iPhone, you know, as a two thousand eight, I guess, you know, first time, you know, that's sorry, that's iPad. And、uh, you know, some customer told us, "Hey, we are using iPad. I really like this application, but I want to share this iPad application with the remote, you know, the the friends and employees in real time. You know, essentially, that's more like、uh, you share your iPad screen, right, or iPad app to, with the remote employees, remote the the, the users. Nobody had a solution at that time. You know, I thought about that." Wow, this is great because we did Webex before. Essentially, is to share the desktop, right? And however, and how to share, you know, the the iPad application. This is something new. I try to understand why. You know, the root cause is because Apple does not support that, does not have API, and then we try to figure out a solution. And because customers they are not happy, right? How to deliver happiness to those customers? And we were working very very hard until last year we figured out a solution. And that's that is our mobile screen sharing. You, it sounds like, really believe in this getting in touch with the customer and and deeply understanding what the customer is going through. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, again, easy to pay lip service to that.、Uh, and and they, you know, a lot of people talk about it, and I'm not sure as many people are as good as it. It sounds like you you are. As you bring on more staff,、um, is there anything you do to intentionally build the culture so that that Type of mentality trickles down. I, I truly believe culture is number one important thing for you to build a successful startup company. And also, I want to make sure the culture is very simple. Everybody can understand that. You know, everybody know what to do. So in our case, our culture is to deliver happiness to our customers. Everything centers around that. You know, how to deliver happiness to our users every day. How to deliver a surprise. You know, I would say surprise happiness for our customers. When we hire employees, we always you know share some stories. Make sure the from、uh, you know the, the the personality perspective, right? You know, they really care about the customers, really care about you know the end users, and that's why you know when when it comes to new hiring, so we are very conservative because when we grow the employees from one hundred to two hundred to three hundred, we want to maintain the culture. You know, otherwise down the road you are going to have a bigger problem. So let, let's talk about this of intentionally building the kind of culture you you talked about.、Um, it sounds like you do more than just putting policies in a binder somewhere. That you actually tell the stories to your staff of what it's like to work with your customers. 
We do, because every day, you know, in terms of like, when you build a product, you know, when you design a feature, right, we want to make sure, you know, that all the engineers, they think about it from an end-user perspective, right? You know, the design will only let a customer, you know, click one button rather than click three or four buttons, right? And also, whenever customers have issues, our customer or support team, you know, they should, you know, respond in a timely manner, right? It could be one hour earlier, could make a big difference, when customers want to buy, you know, the service from our sales rep, even over the weekend, you know, our sales rep also should reach out to them. You know, having started that, I think how to make sure the customer happy, look at everything from a customer perspective. That's a culture, you know, we are, you know, talking about here every day, every minute. Otherwise, if you do not talk about that, you do not share the stories, quite often, you know, employees, they may forget that, especially for new employees. They do not know what, what do you mean by delivering happiness. That's why the stories really help us. And again, I think that it's obvious that you you practice what you preach there. there again, you know, so many uh, entrepreneurs, I think they intend to do that. They tell people to do that. But uh, I'm not sure as many CEOs lead by example that way. It sounds like you get out there and you've done it yourself and you try to lead from in front on that one. Yes, because uh, as I mentioned, the, 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 the better leader usually lead by example, right? Like every day, the first, first thing when I open my computer is I look at all the customer cancellations, you know, every time, every day, right? So if customer canceled, I'll be the one to read that email. And also I will reply back to those customers, you know, why you canceled, why we did not deliver happiness, why we let you down. And then we can learn a lot, you know, and then try to fix the problem, you know, to keep a customer happy. And sometimes it's sorry, you know, uh, is this a problem from our side? We give them, you know, a, a, a VIP account to let them keep using the service until we fix the problem. And with that, we, we, we build a great relationship, even with those users who already canceled. But later on, they become a very happy customers. They know we, we do care about them. So I, I heard about this, and I heard that, um, you know, one of your, your staff members was telling me about this, that sometimes people write back and they say, you know, ha ha. I know this is an auto emailer. This is not the CEO of the company actually emailing me because I canceled. Uh, and then they're very surprised when you say, "No, no, this is actually me." Do you want to hop on? Do you want to hop on a Zoom and we'll talk? And you can talk to me face to face. You're right. This uh, happened multiple times, you know. And uh, interesting enough, I'm still, you know, struggling a, a little bit because some users they still do not believe. I do not believe. You know, I canceled uh, five minutes ago. I got a one email from CEO. This cannot be true. <laughs> Guaranteed, ultimate email. And every time I immediately reply back, no, 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 that's not. You know, let's uh, even you know if you have a time, let's uh, get on a Zoom call. I really want to understand what's wrong. I feel very sorry. We did not deliver happiness to you, right? And uh, yeah, every day, you know, it's sometimes you know, it's it's interesting. Again, something else that I feel like is so uncommon, you know. People, it's easy to feel like I'm in charge. I'm the big guy. We can hire customer service people for that. What What was it that inspired you to take that role yourself and and to get so personally involved on this case by case basis? So still, it's, this is a, a you know boils down to our culture, right? To deliver happiness. As a CEO, if I know we did not deliver happiness to some of the users, that's the number one priority. I will stop everything else to make sure those customers are happy. Otherwise, no matter what you do. If your existing customer not happy, I would say that's number one priority across the whole company. As the CEO, I got to do work on that. So now, if I understand right, you guys 
were able to get to 140,000 business accounts without traditional marketing. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Yes. I think I think I figured out part of your secret there. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the we recently, you know, we we started spending more on marketing front. The reason yeah. why, because we have a lot of enterprise customers, and we got to you know uh, promote our brand, invest more to our brand, and try to you know kind of uh, if CIO never heard about our name, you know, the sales cycle will be longer, right? That's why we we spend money on on, on branding, right? Not for the lead generation, because our organic growth already help us a lot. So to generate enough qualified leads. And this is something we, we like to, t- I like to ask guests about, um, you know, it's like business, you know, you got to have something awesome, but then you got to figure out how to get people to want it from you. Right. And so word of mouth is great unless someone doesn't know anyone who's already using it. Right. So with so many options for marketing and branding and, and, you know, trying to get um, these customers to have heard about you before someone ever gives them a recommendation. How do you decide whether it's content marketing, television, other forms of digital? How do you decide where you're going to allocate your dollars? So that's a great question. I do not think we have a secret sauce. But uh, overall, our thought is before we spend any money on marketing front, we got to make sure what most marketing works first. Otherwise, even if you spend money, you recruit a new customers. If they are not happy about your product, guess what? They are going to leave. You know, you spend so much that money, finally get out of the 10 customers, you know, in 30 days, those 10 customers are gone. You know, that's the worst case. So that's why in our case, we do not want to spend money. We really want to make sure our existing customer are very happy. And until we received very clear and consistent message. Customers told us, hey, I really like your product. I already referred to many of my friends. After we see that, we are going to spend money on marketing form. And also the content marketing helps. And also the Google search and a billboard, a radio ads. I think everything can help. Because we know as long as the customer, they know our product, they try our product, they are going to like the product. They can refer to many other friends. So you know, before we started, I was telling you a little bit about our charity, Child Rescue, and saying we always like to get advice for, you know, how do people think that charities like ours should should be getting the word out, or how do we get more people involved in wanting to help children? Any, any thoughts on that? I think uh, you know, one thing, my two cents is you know, share some uh, stories and why you know they they like that you know charity, why they like that organization, why those stories can you know, inspire others. And if everybody who, who you know, uh, contributed to your organization, to your charity, and they're doing something similar, and you get more users and more users, and essentially, you know, you can start from there, I think. Before we close here, um, you've, you've seen a lot of things over your career. Uh, you guys are obviously having some great success. Um, what advice do you have for other people who are trying to become successful entrepreneurs? What's something that maybe isn't just the, the standard advice. What do you think is some of the best advice you ever got? I think, uh, you know, entrepreneur is just, a, I would say, you know, one type of a career path, right? You know, ultimately, you should ask yourself, you know, what you can do, you know, to make sure you are happy, make sure you can deliver happiness to others. If you think you work for a lot of enterprise com- companies, you can deliver happiness to yourself as well as to others. 
I shouldn't keep doing that. You do not need to start a company, you know. It's not like uh, for fun, right? Start a company, it's not that easy, you know. Every day you have new problems. It's a long journey. And uh, ultimately, you should have a dream. You know, if you think to start a company to be an entrepreneur is your dream, is that, the, is that a way, you know, you think you can leverage that platform you know, to deliver happiness to others, I think you should pursue that. Otherwise, I would say do not start a company, you know, and the 90% of the time at the start of a company will be filled. So Yeah, it sounds like um, you think people should spend time deciding in what way they want to be helpful to others instead of just deciding I want everyone to know I'm an entrepreneur. Is that kind of putting words in your mouth or is that what you're saying? You are absolutely right. Exactly right. Yes. That's great. Well, listen, we appreciate you making time for us today. And, uh, and it's, it's fun to actually record this here on Zoom. And uh, thanks again for all your advice. Jesse, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.